Well, good morning, everybody. My name's Rob Jacobson, if we haven't met yet. And most people are surprised when they find out, actually, they're not very surprised when they find out that I'm a pastor. Uh, I don't know if I have that pastor look to me, but most people are surprised when they find out that I drive a motorcycle. I don't know if I just don't scream motorcycle driver, but I usually ask, like, what does that exactly mean? Because I've been driving motorcycles for a long time. And somehow it comes out that they say something like, well, you just don't seem like the kind of guy that would drive a motorcycle. So what does that mean? And then later it comes out like, well, you know, like, you just don't have that edge, like the rebel, you know, person. And I'm like, I'm rebellious. I drive a motorcycle. You know, I ran with scissors once. (laughs) Maybe you are a little bit of a rebel too. Maybe you roll through stop signs. I know you guys. I know some of you take the do not remove under penalty of law tags off and you just rip them off those mattresses. It's like, oh. I found out you can do that, by the way. But what does it exactly mean to be a rebel? And do you see yourself as a rebel? Because that's part of what we're talking about today. You know, we started this series called Epic partly because the Bible is so big and so old that many people, honestly, they don't know where to start with it. People who've tried to read it, they usually, you know, they maybe even make the New Year's resolution. Maybe you did. I'm going to start in Genesis. I'm going to go all the way through. And they get to Leviticus and they're like, oh my gosh. And they usually stop. But if we actually put ourselves in God's story, we'll start to understand our own story. And maybe that's still something that's hard for you to, to really accept right now. But, you know, as we looked at last week, we'll review for you so you can catch up. Act one was this idea of God made, that God made a world of beauty, that he created something out of nothing, that he brought order out of chaos, that he put seeds of potential and abundance in everything, in the ground, in the plants, in the animals, and his pinnacle moment was creating humanity. And so to put yourself in God's story is to believe that to be human means to be made in the image and likeness of God and to be covered in God's goodness. Like on a frigid day-to-day, being covered in God's goodness would be a little bit like going into a hot spring or maybe a hot tub if you can't find a hot spring. But just sinking into that water, you know, as the ice crystals are around you and feeling it surround you, that would be a little bit like oozing into God's goodness. That when God created you, that's what he did. And today we look at, and last week the idea was that we can recognize that we are filled with God's goodness, that that was his intent for us. But as we move to act two, we'll see that we don't always experience that, that you might not feel like you are oozing God's goodness. Maybe you even got in a fight with someone this morning before you got here. And it's not really feeling like God's goodness is oozing out of you, but in act two we see how deception became rejection and how that story impacts us. So if you have your Bible, we're in Genesis 3. And this is where I think deception becomes rejection. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for our time of greeting each other in our time of worshiping you and seeing you for who you are. And I pray right now that we'd see your word for what it is, 
that your word would read us. God, that your spirit would speak to us and that your spirit would, would show us where we are right now, where we are in your story. And I pray that it would be good news. Amen. It says now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked, and so they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves. Then the man and the woman heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you are naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And now it's my translation. Uh, uh, The woman, the woman you put here with with me, she, she gave it to me and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent, the serpent, he deceived me and, and I ate. And then we'll stop there. Deception becomes rejection. You know, um, this is really how the garden of delight becomes this garden of disaster. And and your Bible might even have headings in there. Maybe it says the fall, except I think that's a little bit too passive. It sort of makes it seem like this was an accident, like they just tripped and fell. And I think the first deception happens right at the beginning when Eve and Adam, who was there, think that God's work is optional. Like Adam and Eve, I think they failed to recognize the significance of what it meant to reflect God's image and likeness. That God gave them work to work the garden, but also gave them work to reign over the the world in in a way that would bring its fullness to capacity, to bring its fullness to abundance. And so part of that work was reigning over the birds of the air and the fish and all the animals, including the ones that scurry along the ground, which I think would include the serpent. So in this moment, Eve and Adam both had authority over the serpent. And I think that matters. Because I think Eve could have easily said, wait a second, you can't tell me what to do. Like somehow that's instinctively put in us when we're young. But instead of asking Adam, instead of, speaking back and having authority over the, the serpent, she rejects God's work. And maybe, maybe you think rejection is too strong, so we could look at alternatives. If, if 
this isn't the right way to look at it, then, then I think most people would say, well, she was deceived. She was deceived by the serpent. And what do we think the serpent is? Satan, right? Like she was just deceived by Satan. But see, the problem, I think, with that, I'm not saying it's wrong, but I think when we immediately go to the serpent is Satan, what we do is we become victims. I don't know if you've ever had anyone say to you, well, it wasn't my fault. The devil made me do it. Like I just couldn't help myself. I was, I was overcome with the evil. And that, I... I just don't think that's how God created us to live, to be these victims, to be these people who fall over and accept this reality that's in our life. And Adam and Eve could have accepted the work that God had for them and exercised that authority. And I wonder what it would be like today if, if Adam and Eve would have said, yes, this is how God created us, and it's good to take that action. It might not have turned out the exact same way, but he gave us the choice. Now, if that's the case, then you might say, well, if God had given us the choice and if he knew how this was going to turn out, then why did he give us choice? And you might know this, but it's worth saying, genuine love and true community can only happen in a realm where there's freedom to choose. You can't force someone to choose you. You can't force someone to love you. Then it's not genuine love. And God, in his unconditional love, knew that he had to create the possibility for his creation to reject him. And that's, I think, the first deception that happens, is that Adam and Eve think God's work is optional, and they reject his work. And that's exactly what I think we do, is we reject God's work. You know, it's true, I do drive a motorcycle. At 16, I started, had this plot, actually, when I was 15, and taking driver's ed, I started this plot that I would, I would drive a motorcycle, and I came from motorcycle drivers. I had a, a grandfather that had some motorcycles. I had a father that had a motorcycle, so it was going to be hard for my mom to be like, I just don't think we can do this. You know, we didn't have guns. We didn't do that, but we had motorcycles, so I was like, okay, how am I going to get this? Well, first of all, I have to start saving money to get the motorcycle, so I started doing that. That's responsible. You know, that, that's not rejecting God's work, and then I decided, oh, after I take driver's out, I'm going to take the motorcycle safety course. That's responsible. So I took the motorcycle safety course, and in it I learned that you shouldn't just wear closed-toed shoes. You should really wear boots instead of shoes, but if you don't have boots, it's okay. And you should really wear leather pants, but jeans are okay, and that was good. Um, And they really recommended you should wear a jacket, you should wear gloves, and of course, head protection and eye protection. And I'm like, down, got that. So I even bought the the motorcycle helmet before I bought the motorcycle, because that's what I was afford, and it was responsible. And it did last for a while. But when we reject God's work, this deception of the first one lends to the second one. And that deception is that God's not good if he withholds something that seems good. I mean, take a look at this story. It's one thing to to wonder about, you know, was the serpent, was it Satan speaking through the serpent, or was it the serpent that, that Eve should have had authority over? But when this idea gets introduced that God's goodness is being withheld or that God's not good if he withholds something that seems good. Now, all of a sudden, Adam and Eve, they doubt God's goodness. And when we doubt God's goodness, then, then what happens is we reject it. Uh, professor 
James Bruckner, Old Testament, he wrote a book, Healthy Human Life, and he says this. He says, not eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the way that God gave the humans to acknowledge him as creator. So when Adam and Eve acted within limits, they were giving glory to God. When we acknowledge God's goodness and the limits that he sets, it's the first form of worship. And I think in that moment, they reject God's goodness. Sometimes people say it this way, you know, God gave me free will, so I am free to do whatever I desire. And I think in those moments, then we reject God's goodness too. You know, those first two months of my having my motorcycle, because I got it like right at, right at the beginning of July in northern Minnesota where it's not like this all the time. It's actually in weather that you don't need a jacket when you ride a motorcycle and you don't need pants, but I was still wearing the pants because I still wanted to be good. I still didn't want to reject that. But, but after a while, it got limiting to put the boots on and put the pants on and put the jacket on and put the gloves on and put the helmet on and put the eyeglasses on, especially when the town can be driven in all of seven and a half minutes. And so I was only driving a mile and a half to my job, which was a lifeguard where I'd wear uh, a small-ish shorts that were, you know, they were the umbro, the parachute style. So they were like super thin, but they were, they were easy to easy to wear in this hot sauna environment, and I wear a tank top, and I wear flip-flop. This was my, this was my work uniform as a lifeguard. You're just thankful right now that I don't have to wear that, because that would be a little weird. But I was being responsible until I started to see all of these layers as limits. I'm like, I don't really want to wear the jacket. I don't really always want to wear the gloves. I'll still keep putting the pants on, but you know, I'm going to switch to tennis shoes. I don't I don't really want to wear the boots. I just can't wear them around. And so by the time it got to the middle of August, I was, I was often wearing running shoes. I was often putting the jeans on. And then I'd have to wear this stupid backpack to put my uniform in of, of tank top and shorts and flip-flops. And I started to just get kind of graded that I would have to have these limits. And when we reject God's goodness because we see these, these limits, these things that... that God isn't good because he's withholding something that is good, it gets us to this third deception. That we think we can be like God without God. I mean, Adam and Eve had this moment where they failed to recognize the only way they could be like God fully is if they were God. And so it starts with this moment of like, oh, it's a serpent that talks. Now, actually, there's a Jewish historian, Josephus, that that believed that all of the animals could talk in the beginning. It was a little Narnia-ish. But it was when Adam and Eve were removed from the garden that God closed their mouths. Again, this idea that maybe Adam and Eve had authority over the serpent. But that's just the first slide. Then there's this doubt of God's goodness because he's withholding something that's good. Did God really say that you can't eat from this? And so there's this overstatement of God's limits. And then Eve is like, she adds to that, yeah, God said we couldn't even touch it. Well, maybe Eve and Adam put guardrails into their life so they wouldn't overstep. But it slid, it slid to this third deception. You know, why is God withholding this fruit? I do want to be like God. All the other trees, all the other fruit in the garden already was pleasing to the eye. All the other fruit, according to Genesis 2, was good for food. It was just 
this tree right over here, the knowledge of good and evil, that was the one restriction that they had. And so she takes, and she rejects God's limits. And she feeds it to her husband who's right there, and he rejects God's limits. And I think that we reject God's limits too. I mean, just think about how you like limits. I don't know if any of you have phones that have limited storage space. You can manage your storage in settings. Like, I never thought there'd be a curse word for that phrase, but, you know, managing my storage in settings. I'll manage your storage in settings. I just need one more thing to save. I don't think we like that. I don't think we like the limited time that some of us have. I don't think some of us like the limited mobility, especially if you happen to be aging or you can't do the things you used to be able to do at 19 or 20. We don't like those limits. We don't like the limited freedoms that we might have. I might even go so far as to say if we're Americans, we despise limits. And what happens is that we go to this place of pride when we reject our limits. And we think we can be like God without God. When, we're, when our friend calls us, for example, hypothetically, when our best friend calls and says, hey, let's go for a run after your work schedule, after, this, um, after your lifeguarding thing, you know, it, it'll be like 8.45 and it stays late till 9.30, you just drive over and, and then we'll go for a run, we'll hit a couple miles and we'll get ready for cross-country season. And I'm like, well, man, I'm wearing a tank top and I'm wearing shorts And all I have to do is put my running shoes on, and then I'm going to be ready to run. I'm going to be ready to go with my friend. Why would I want to put the pants on and put the jacket on and put the shoes on and then drive the mile over to his house, the 1.2 miles, the four roads? I know the four roads. I've driven them 30 times already in these eight weeks that I've had my motorcycle and my motorcycle license. So I know the way. I know the roads. There's only one busy road. What could happen? I mean, there couldn't possibly be anything that would go wrong. And so we go. And we take the turn that we've always taken, that's three over, until we realize that the city decides to put gravel down because they're going to repave it. And all of a sudden, I realize that I'm not like God. And I can't be like God without God. And as I put my motorcycle down for that turn and start sliding across the gravel, I realize that Proverbs is right, that pride comes before the fall. And it slides us into this last deception. But before we go there, are there places where you are rejecting limits in your life? Where you are reaching out to take something that's not for you to take? This isn't just some ancient story. I think this speaks to who we are every day of our lives if we just put ourselves in the story. It was true for me, and I think it's true for you. And the last deception is that we can delight in something that God made without God. Adam and Eve failed to recognize that they couldn't enjoy God's fruit without God being there especially the fruit that he had commanded them not to take. And any time we try to take something that God made and use it for our purposes, it always leads to idolatry. 
When we try and take something that God made and use it without God, it leads to idolatry. Think about it. Like, this is when Adam and Eve, they don't just get deceived, they reject God's worship. Because worship is giving worth to something. And we were created in God's image, so I think if we're created in God's image, then we are made to worship a creator. And we look for his image in things, and if we're not looking to him, then we'll look for other places to find it. It might be literally with food where we think we've got to have this. We can't have this if we, we can't eat. It might be with our bodies, our own bodies. It might be like that I have to do these things to make my body look this way or the opposite of that. If I don't look a certain way, then I completely hate myself and either way is pointing our bodies towards worship. It might be that we worship someone else's body. Maybe through a screen or airbrushed images. Maybe through someone across your, your work life. But you start to look at that person. You start to dehumanize them. To take them as an image that you can consume. And it's a lie to think that it creates an intimacy or it gives you something that you can take. It's idolatry. I think money can be an idol. Think about all of the Powerball tickets that were sold in the last week. One news story said that one gas station in the, on the border of Bloomington and Edina that had three registers, they counted just one of those registers from 12 p.m. to 6 p.m. That one register at this one gas station had $11,000 an hour going into it. That's $11,000 an hour. I had my favorite post was from one of my friends who wrote, 2.1 million billion like oh that's not enough to change my life it's got to get to at least 2.5 i mean just the sheer reality of thinking that this will change my life and and let's be honest it probably would but if we think that god can't change our life in the same way or i would even say in more ways we might be worshiping and adam and eve who are covered in the goodness of God. They're not just deceived. They actually listened to the serpent and they did what every one of us do. Rebel. And I think John 3.19 has it completely right. It says, this is the crisis we're in. That God's light streamed into the world, but men and women everywhere, they ran for the darkness. They went for the darkness because they were not really interested in pleasing God. And maybe that's harsh. Maybe you're like, gosh, this doesn't really seem like good news yet. I think it's important to understand that because of Adam and Eve's choice, the goodness that is still a part of us, that still oozes all over us, is now intertwined with the knowledge of evil. I think it's seen in the next story when Cain and Abel grow up. They are Adam and Eve's kids, and they are now not just covered in the goodness of God, but now they have evil intertwined with them. I mean, God has to convince Cain not to sin, and he's unsuccessful at it. At one point, he says, Cain, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you, and you must rule over it. It's like sin is personified as an animal that's ready to pounce and attack its prey and consume it. Sounds like 1 Peter 5, 8 where your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. See, the reality is that Satan does 
come against us. He is an adversary, and he wants to steal and kill and destroy, that it says in the word. He even tries to trick and take down the Son of God. It's just that he doesn't. But we're not the Son of God. We're children of God, and we're beloved by God, but the knowledge of evil is intertwined with us. And so sometimes we do the things that we don't want to do, and the good we want to do, we don't do. And so if there's a lion, it goes after the slowest gazelle. So start running. No. So as one of my youth ministry mentors, my first one, took a handful of us as we were interns. We had finished up our youth ministry internship. There's six of us in the room. And he said, some of you are going to go on to youth ministry. Others of you are going to be volunteers. Some of you are going to go into other careers. But I want you to just take this moment at this time, and I want you to think about what we just talked about. And he talked about, Satan being like a lion, seeking someone to devour. He says, Satan can't read your mind, but he can study you. He is like a good coach who knows your weaknesses and your strengths. So imagine for a couple minutes what your desires and with your personality, how he could take you down, especially if you built a legacy, if you built into people, if you've built eternal relationships with people or with students that was in the case with us. He said, how would... Satan take you down? Where would it look like good and really have it be evil? And he says, just write out the news story. Write out what would happen, how it would happen, and who would be affected. The relationships that would kind of be destroyed. Now I promise you there is good news to come. But the reason that I would challenge you to take a few minutes to look at this, there's even a card in your worship folder. It doesn't seem like, like, gosh, again, this doesn't seem like good news. If we know our desires and we know how sin might affect us, then guess what? It can actually help you do what the Bible says, which is resist Satan and flee temptation. Those are very important. Not flee Satan and resist temptation. Resist Satan, flee temptation. So as we listen to this song that we're going to listen to in a few minutes, I'd like you to look at that card. I'd like you to look at how there's deception on one side and there's truth on the other. Because I promise you, there is truth to come. It's actually when we do what this song is going to say, when we embrace accusation, that we will find freedom. We will hear truth and the truth will set us free. There is an accusation that Eve and Adam have to hear and it does come from God. First, just saying, where are you? And God will come and find you. And when you embrace the reality that you and I are rebels and it's only by the grace of God that we find our way out, that we will. So think about the deception that happens in your life but also the truth that is in your life. And ask the Spirit of God where, where you need to write right now. And we'll come back together when the song is over. So the truth is we're all rebels. There's one slide, the last one, that says we, we are people who reject God's work and we're people who reject God's goodness and we reject God's word and we reject God's worship. 
but it's actually when we accept the fact that we are rebels, when we accept the fact that like Adam and Eve, who couldn't do anything about the state they were in except so little fig leaves together, or when we accept the fact that 16-year-old me is on the side of the road, sort of bloody on the knee and bloody on the elbow, and got a very bruised hip as I'm laying there from sliding out on the gravel, that I realize that I am not God. I am not invincible. I cannot gain salvation. And friends, that is the good news because if you have been coming to church and trying to do it on your own, then it is either frustrating or death. But when you say, wait, 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 I can't, that's when you find life. That's when Jesus saves. That's when Adam, and that's when God comes to Adam and Eve and he says, where are you? And he will come to you no matter how much you've hidden no matter how much you've tried to cover, he will come to you. And he gives not just animal skins that we see Adam and Eve walk out with, he gives the perfect, innocent blood of his son to redeem us and bring us into relationship with him. Do you see this slide? All of these arcs and rainbows, it's, it's kind of a cool picture. It's actually every chapter of the Bible that is written out in the white and one of those blue arcs goes all the way towards the end. And it's this one that says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, to God saying to the serpent, between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That is this showing, this prophecy that God says after this episode of blame and shame and fear, that God says, you know what, serpent, because you've done this, there will be enmity between your offspring and hers for centuries. But one day, an offspring will come from Eve, the mother of all the living, and he will crush the serpent's head. He will save us. And that is the good news. That yes, it's true that Romans 3, that all sin and fall short of the God, yes, it's true that the wages of sin is death and the gift of God is eternal life. Yes, that's true, but if we put our trust in the creator and the redeemer of the universe, in the one who comes as Jesus Christ and lives among us and lives a perfect life and dies an innocent death that he doesn't deserve, that, when we confess that, Romans says, we confess that Jesus is Lord and believe that he is raised from the dead, we are saved. We are picked up off the side of the road. So, would you hear, amidst all this deception, that you do not have to be a rebel, you do not have to reject God, that God doesn't expect you to be perfect, that you are still covered in his goodness, and even if you do the things that you don't want to do, God still completely and unbelievably loves you. And he comes to find you, wherever you're at. Would you pray with me? God, would we hear today that yes, your godlike came into the world and people didn't recognize it, they actually even rejected it, but that you still sent your son because you loved the world. And even if it meant rejection and even if it meant death, you would take that upon yourself out of your grace, out of your truth, out of your righteousness, and out of your love for us. God, would we embrace the fact that we are rebels and that we need you and we need your salvation, but would we also embrace the fact that you completely give it. God, Holy Spirit, give us the truth that we need today. 
to live as people who are not just rebels, but are redeemed by you. Amen.